Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Well, this morning we're continuing in our teaching series that we have entitled The Big Ten. And what we've been doing over the past few weeks is we're making our way week by week through the Ten Commandments. And so far we've gone through three of the the Ten Commandments. I want to go over them real quick. The first one is no other gods besides me. That means that we are to make sure we worship the right God. No other gods besides me. The second one is No graven images. No graven images. That is, make sure you're worshiping the right God the right way. And the third one, we went over this last week, is revere God's name. In other words, don't empty God's name of his glory by taking it in vain. And today we're going to be looking at the fourth commandment that Will just read for us, which details or deals with rest. And let me ask you this this morning. Where you're sitting right now, other than the echo that we're hearing, are you at rest where you're at? Do you feel, when you came in the door this morning, did you feel like, "Ah, I'm so refreshed this morning? And you know what the ironic thing about me is this week I've been studying the fourth commandment, which talks about rest. But I noticed as I was going through my week uh, that I was feeling this anxiety within myself. I was feeling uh, the anxiety from the message. I was feeling anxiety with the responsibilities of life. And this this, uh, country song came into my head. That's by Alabama. It goes like this. I'm in a hurry to get things done. Oh, I rush and rush until life's no fun. All I really got to do is live and die, but I'm in a hurry and don't know why. Can any of you guys relate to that? That you're, 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 you're doing a lot of good things, you're doing what you should do, but the truth is, inside, you're anxious, you're burdened, you're fearful, and it, feels, it can feel like the weight of the world is like crushing down upon you. And, and your lungs, it's hard to breathe maybe. Because inside you feel like it's all up to you to keep it together. And that's tiring, isn't it? That can make you weary. It can make you irritated when something comes into your schedule that wasn't planned. And it seems to be an inconvenience. And, you know, the truth is if somehow you could, like, press a button and you could disappear for six months and then you could come back and pick up right where you left off, your bags would already be packed if you could do that. Um, Problem is we can't. And if I just, what I just shared uh, describes you, I hope you know that you're not alone. Uh, We all struggle with this and... There's something in all of us that wants rest. We're all seeking for rest, and that's what our commandment addresses today, resting on the Sabbath. And, you know, ever since the resurrection of Jesus, Christians have been divided 
on the fourth commandment as what we're supposed to do with it. When you look at the fourth commandment, people are asking, how important is the fourth commandment? Is it still binding on us today? And if so, how are we supposed to practice it? Christians don't agree on this fully. There are some people that are called Sabbatarians, and they would argue that the Sabbath is still to be observed as prescribed in the Old Testament. Not that if you really get into the the Sabbath, there's no way to really do it fully, but they would say, basically what they would say, is that Saturday is the day that we're supposed to worship on. And if you're not doing that, you're being disobedient to God. And then there are others who would say that, you know, actually, we are to observe the Sabbath, but it's been moved to Sunday. This is called the New Christian Sabbath, and everything from the Old Covenant has been transferred to Sundays because Jesus rose from the dead and on, on Sunday. Now, it is true that the first century church began having corporate worship services on Sunday after the resurrection. It, was, it became to be known as the Lord's Day. This is found in Scripture, but um, nowhere in Scripture, I just want to say this up front, nowhere in Scripture is Sunday called the New Christian Sabbath. And I grew up in a tradition uh, here in Asheville where Sundays were a very sacred day. You, you did not work on Sundays. You didn't do lawn work. You, di- you didn't mow your lawn. And, you know, when I was um, an adult, I decided, you know what? I know that that's not binding. I can mow my lawn on Sunday. So I went out, and I got on my riding lawnmower, and I was just going to say, I'm gonna, by faith, I'm going to do this. And I went out and started mowing the grass, and my, this is a true story, my riding lawnmower hit a rock and bent the blade down and began to just destroy my yard. So I don't mow my lawn on Sundays anymore, even though I, I don't believe that it's wrong to. But... You know, back in the day, I was taught you don't mow the grass. And most businesses, if you're, if you're old enough, you can remember that most businesses, including gas stations, were closed. Just like Chick-fil-A is closed today. Uh, it was a sacred day that was set aside to gather with the church on Sunday morning. So you'd get up, go to Sunday school, around 9 o'clock go to Sunday school. Then you'd go to the main service. Then you'd go back home to rest by eating a meal together. Uh, taking a nap. As a child, I used to hate naps, didn't understand them until I became a a parent, and they're just gold now. But we would take a nap, then we'd get back up around 5 o'clock, go back to church for for training, uh, training union, uh, other services. Then my parents would have choir practice till about 8 o'clock at night. We'd get back home, it was dark, and we're all tired from a day of rest, getting ready to head into the upcoming week. This is how it was uh, in my life and practiced in many people's lives in the United States 40 years plus ago. It's, a lot has changed then, but there still are a lot of differing views on the Sabbath. And so, so today, here's the question I want to ask or to try to answer for us, and that is, are Christians required to observe the fourth commandment? Or are, they, are, are we required to keep the Sabbath? Now, the word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew seven, and it can be interpreted as the seventh day, as Saturday, or as a time of rest. So if I were to go around the room this morning and ask you, you know, Braylon, what do you think about it? Should we practice the Sabbath? 
you know, what, you know, what would you say, Corey? Yes, we should. No, we, sh- we don't have to. Or maybe. Or John, I don't know what we're supposed to do here. Uh, well, I hope that by the time we end today, you'll at least have a better idea of what you believe on this. And uh, in order to begin this discussion, I want to go back to the very beginning in Genesis chapter 2 to, to begin to understand Sabbath. And we read in Genesis chapter 2 verse 1, it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. This is right after chapter 1, where it says that God created everything in six days. And then verse 2 says, On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So what's going on here? God creates the heavens and the earth in six days, and then on the seventh day, he, notice that this, he rested. That word rested means to cease, it means to stop, it means to, as it's translated, rest, and it also means to celebrate. It's like God was satisfied with his creation. It's like he's standing in the seventh day and he's looking back at the other six. And he's, he's looking and admiring his masterpiece. He's saying perfection. Nothing more needs to be done with this. It is finished. And so let's enter into rest from working on my creation. Now, as we know, at this point, there's no sin. There's no decay. There is no death in the world. And it's everything that we all long for, like fast internet and restaurants that have staff and that stay open past 6 o'clock and the dining room is open. It's gas that's under $3 a gallon. It is a place where none of your NCAA brackets have been busted. It's paradise, right? And although um, it's paradise and, and it's Perfection is perfect fellowship between God and man and creation. Everything is working perfectly together. And, though, and you know, Adam and Eve are working. It says that God took Adam and he put him in the, in the garden to work. But they were free, when they worked, they were free from stress. They were free from anxiety because, look, they weren't trying to prove themselves. They weren't trying to make names for themselves. They were doing what they were created to do, that is to work to the glory of God. They were working from a place of rest and security. Now, I want to point out again in chapter 2, what I just read, who is the one that is resting? It's God, right? God is resting from all his work until we reach just one one chapter over, chapter 3. And that's when man rebels and he becomes enslaved by sin and he brings death and decay into the world. We all know, most of us know the story of how, how man fell. And it, it's at this point that God begins revealing what we call his work of redemption. He begins revealing his work of redemption. This was a plan that he had before the foundation of the world. It didn't, 
He didn't come up with it after man sinned. He knew that he was going to do this. It, and this is where through the, what we call the work of Jesus, God planned to once again free his creation and restore the rest that was lost by man in the garden. And what I want to point out here is that the, one of the big things, other than that God is the one resting, there is no commandment here for Adam and Eve to keep the Mosaic Sabbath. Um, as a matter of fact, to my knowledge, when I read through the Old Testament, to a certain point, I don't find any examples where Noah, Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob, or Joseph fully observed or were commanded to observe the fourth commandment. You guys stay with me on this, okay, because we're, we're going somewhere with what I'm trying to answer, whether or not we're required to keep the Sabbath. It is not until Exodus 16 that we hear the word Sabbath. And this is when, if you remember, the Israelites have come out of Egypt, and they're in the desert, and God gives them food from heaven, which is called manna. And what he says is, he says that they are to observe the Sabbath on the seventh day by making it a day, a day of complete rest, a holy Sabbath day set apart for the Lord. Which brings us to our commandments, the fourth commandment. And, you know, this is the only commandment, and we need to understand that this is the only commandment of the ten that is both ceremonial and moral. Okay? Now, this is the part of the message where I know it's like, okay, it's time to check out, right? Because it might, be, might feel like this is, you're getting a little cerebral or a little academic on me here, but we, we need to understand this. And we've talked about this before, so for some of you this is going to be a review. But we need to understand what the difference is between a ceremonial law and a moral law. So, what is a ceremonial law? Ceremonial laws pertain to a specific people in a specific place for a specific time. This is important to understand. Um, in order to be a part of the nation of Israel, there were certain ceremonial laws that you had to abide by. Otherwise, you'd be excommunicated or in some cases put to death if you did not obey the ceremonial laws. These included um, animal sacrifices, food and drink, new moons and festivals, circumcision, and the Sabbath. Now I'm going to explain more why I'm saying that it's the Sabbath is, is uh, partly ceremonial. We'll see that in just a minute. But the Sabbath is in this list. These ceremonial laws applied, listen, solely to the nation of Israel when they were under the old covenant. And therefore, these ceremonial laws do not apply to us today. This is important, might be important to you if you're talking to someone and they say, hey, why are you obeying certain laws, say like laws about sexuality, and but you're not obeying these laws that talk about eating shellfish and wearing garments that have mixed fibers? Why? Because these are ceremonial. Sexual sins are moral laws that are, that are governed by moral laws. And so, what is a moral law? A moral law is universal. It's a universal law. They apply to all peoples, in all places, and at all times. In other words, they don't change with culture or time. And here's why. It's because they are based in God's unchanging, holy, and just 
nature. And they are given for the, the benefit of humanity, and they profit those who obey them. No matter who you are, they're, they pro, they're good for you, and they, they profit for you. Another thing is Romans 2, speaking about the moral law, says that the requirements of the moral law are written on our hearts. The requirements of the law. Now, not the ability to do it, but God has written the moral law on our hearts so that at the core, at our core, everyone has a basic awareness of what's right and wrong. For example, everyone knows that it's wrong to steal. Don't get your hand caught in the cookie jar, right? Uh, Everyone knows that, that it's wrong to steal. Everyone knows that you don't mess with someone else's spouse in all cultures. What is that called? Adultery. We know that it's wrong to do that. Everyone knows that it's wrong to lie. Listen, even Batman knows that murder is wrong and that we're called to honor our parents. Because remember what Bruce Wayne does when he was a little boy and he sees his parents gunned down? He knows that that's wrong. And what does he do? He seeks to honor his parents, the memory of his parents, by dedicating his life to fighting crime and injustice. So, Ceremonial laws, just to review, ceremonial laws are binding customs of a nation. Moral laws are binding universal laws that apply to all humanity in all places at all times. So how is the Sabbath a ceremonial law? Okay, I want to look at the ceremonial law part because it's both. How is it a ceremonial law? Well, to answer that, we need to go to Exodus chapter 31 and... Scripture interprets Scripture, and we get a little bit more uh, information about what the Sabbath was all about. Exodus chapter 31, verse 12 says this. The Lord then gave these instructions to Moses. Tell the people of Israel. Okay, who is Moses telling this to? The people of Israel. Be careful to keep my Sabbath day, for the Sabbath is a sign of the covenant between who? Me and you from generation to generation. It is given so you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. The people of Israel must keep the Sabbath day by observing it from generation to generation. This is a covenant obligation for all time. It is a permanent sign of my covenant with the people of Israel. The Sabbath is given for a specific people specific place, a specific time. Namely, God, remember God called Israel out of Egypt. He brought them out of Egypt. He's setting a people apart. This is what he wants to do with uh, all people that would come to, even in today, he wants to set us apart. But in this situation, under the old covenant, he's pulling the people out of Egypt, and he's saying, these are my people. And one of the ways that I'm going to distinguish you is through my Sabbath. This is a sign that you are under the Mosaic covenant. That's why it's a ceremonial law. Now, it's a moral law because it also contains universal morals that are grounded in the character of God, and it benefits all who observe these laws. It it benefits everybody who obeys certain aspects of this law, regardless of the day that you practice them on. So I want to look at four moral laws that are contained within the fourth commandment. The fourth commandment commands us to work. Now, 
I know we're talking about rest, but it commands us to work. It says, six days you shall labor. Man was created for work. God's like, don't be lazy. You know what laziness is? Laziness is resting when you should be working. And in the beginning, God worked. He, by creating the heavens and the earth in six days. And so when we work in the right way, we actually glorify God by reflecting his creative and productive uh, character. So just like in 1 Corinthians 10.31, it says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So the fourth commandment commands us to work. Secondly, it commands us to rest. Unlike God, uh, we've talked about this in previous messages, unlike God who never grows weary, we are created as finite beings. We have a limited battery life, and we need to be recharged and refreshed. And everybody knows that a workaholic is not, to be a workaholic is not a good thing. Um, The refusal to rest can reveal a lack of faith in God. If you refuse to, to rest as God has commanded us to, it can show you that you're not trusting God to provide for you, because you feel like if you don't work, then you're not going to be provided for. It can also uh, reveal, if you refuse to rest, it can also reveal that you are a slave, that you're a slave to possessions. I heard someone say a millionaire, someone who has a million dollars that works seven days a week, is simply a rich slave, enslaved to his things or her things. So, whereas laziness is resting when you should work, striving is working when you should be resting. So God commands us in the fourth commandment to work, and he also commands us to remember our creator. That's the third commandment I want us to see here, that we are to remember our creator, who in six days made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them. Simply put, this shows us that life is not random and meaningless. Life has meaning and purpose because we have been created by a wise and loving creator. And then the fourth thing that the fourth commandment commands us to do is to value God's creation. I want to look at verse 10 again when we're looking at valuing God's creation. It says, But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. Notice what God is doing. He is gifting gifting a day of rest for everyone. That's 52 days out of the year, which equals seven, almost seven and a half weeks of rest within a year. And, you know, this law, if it was obeyed properly, it's meant to strengthen relationships. Because if you take a day off, you're able to spend time with your family. You're able to spend time with your friends. You're able to spend time with your congregation worshiping 
and resting and worshiping the Lord. It's also interesting that this law elevated slaves because it gave them the fundamental right to a day off. They, were, they could say, the Lord has said that I have a day off. And, you know, back in the ancient times, this would have been unheard of. And the last thing I want us to see about this when it comes to valuing God's creation is that this appears to be the first national law in history on behalf of animals. It even gave animals a day of rest as well. So can you see how, how the fourth commandment is a moral law? And it's a good law because it brings about life and rest for those who uh, abide by it. So under the, the, uh, the Old Covenant, it's clear that the children of Israel were required to keep the ceremonial and the moral law of the Sabbath. But what about us? What about those who are under the New Covenant? What about us who follow Jesus? Are we still required to keep the Sabbath? Listen, we're all worshiping today on Sunday, okay? So should we, are we disobeying God? Should we be worshiping on Saturday? Well, let's look at how Jesus uh, how did Jesus relate to the Sabbath? That's something I want us to look at. And we can be sure that because he was a Jew under the Old Covenant, he kept the Sabbath as pre- prescribed in the Old Testament. Because he himself said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And he is the only one who perfectly obeyed the law. But uh, he not only kept the Mosaic law when it came to the Sabbath, but he expounded on it when he challenged the Jewish leaders of his day who had corrupted, they had taken the Sabbath and they corrupted it by making a day that was meant to be a day of freedom, a day of rest, and a day of worship. They had turned it into a burden and a day of slavery. And that's why Jesus said, he corrects them, he says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. We were, listen, we were not created to serve a day of the week. That day of the week was created to serve or to bless us. And he, he identified himself also as being the Lord of the Sabbath. And so what did he do when he was walking on earth? He purposefully, on the Sabbath, went about doing good. He went about healing people, teaching that the Sabbath was meant to bring freedom and rest. You're not supposed to rest from good deeds, but from evil. And he was also teaching that the true Sabbath would eventually come through him. That's why he says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, and we've heard this verse so many times, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden and labor, and I will give you rest. That word rest means to give refreshment. So what Jesus is doing is he's offering us a Sabbath for our souls where we cease from striving to prove and to validate ourselves before man and God with what we can do. And it happens when we realize what he has done through his work on the cross. It is when we come to a place where we realize everything I need to have been done has been done through Christ. It is finished. And so when we believe in him, when we trust in Jesus, then we enter into that Sabbath rest that is spoken of in Hebrews chapter 4. 
When we trust in Jesus, it frees us to once again serve God from a place of rest, from a place of gratitude, from a place of thanksgiving. And uh, sometimes we can take, I think we can take Moses and we can dress him up to look like Jesus. We can be confused with who Moses is. And we can think that, you know, if I obey the law, if I observe, in this case, the Sabbath perfectly, then I will find rest for my soul. And you know, the truth is, if you could do it perfectly, you would find rest for your soul. But the the fact is, and, and we know this, you cannot perfectly obey God. It only leads, when we try to obey God in our own strength, it only leads to, to uh, stress, it leads, leads to anxiety, and it leads to fear. And that is the point of the law. That's the point of the, of the Sabbath law, is to point us to a greater Sabbath, to point us to a Savior, to point us to Jesus. So, let me just cut to the chase and answer the question. Are Christians required to keep the Sabbath? Yes or no? Yes and no. Okay? Um, Like I said, we are ultimately called to keep the Sabbath, and we ultimately keep it, the true Sabbath, when we put our faith in Christ, when we rest in Christ. We enter into that rest when we trust in what Jesus did on Calvary. And as disciples of Jesus, God still calls us to work, He still calls us to rest. He still calls us to value life and to worship God privately and corporately. Those are all contained in the fourth commandment. And these were also taught and practiced by the New Testament church. So yes, in that sense, we are called to obey, to keep the Sabbath. But when it comes to the ceremonial aspects of the law, The answer is no. And you might say, well, can you show me a verse in the Bible that says that we don't have to do that? Yes, I can. Let's look at uh, Colossians 2, 16 through 17. Now, what's going on in this passage is the Jews and the Gentiles are coming together as the church. Those who have put their faith in Jesus are coming together as the church. And there's confusion between ceremonial laws and moral laws. And so Paul is clearing this up here. He says, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of, look at this, food and drink, or with regards to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are all ceremonial aspects of the law. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. In other words, the Mosaic Sabbath pointed to the true Sabbath that is found in Jesus. Another passage is Romans 14.5. says, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Notice that Paul doesn't say, try to convince the other person of your way. He says, be convinced in your own mind and do what you're convinced of. What Paul is doing here is he is reminding his readers that when Jesus is our Sabbath rest, we are no longer required to observe ceremonial laws. But 
you are allowed to. You're allowed to, but you're not required to. It's kind of like uh, participating in the, uh, a Passover meal. The, the Old Testament Jews were required. You had to take the Passover every year. We're not required. And I think most of us understand we're not required to take the Passover meal. But it is, it is beneficial to do that from time to time because it helps us to gain a deeper understanding of who Jesus is. But Paul says only... Let each one be fully convinced in his own, man, own mind. Don't try to require other people to do what God is not requiring. Don't put requirements on someone that God is not requiring us to do. So, to close things out, what I'm wanting to do here is I want to emphasize what the Christian walk is about. And this is something that we need to, to remember. The Christian walk is not about serving a Sabbath day or a certain law. It is about knowing and enjoying and, in, and serving a person. Serving and knowing the Lord of the Sabbath, our Creator, our Savior, our God, Jesus. And, and I want to close with two scriptures um, that demonstrate this, that support this. And again, I'm going to ask you to practice your listening skills this morning. And I want you to get a sense, again, of what it, what it means to be a child of God under the new covenant, what it means to know God, what it means to follow God. And Paul, in Ephesians chapter 3, he prays a prayer and this is a prayer that I've been praying actually this week. I've been praying this prayer for myself, my family. I've been praying it for our church family. It's a great prayer that you might want to pray for yourself, especially if right now you're all tied up in knots. Look at, look at what Paul says. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of of God. I love where it talks about being strengthened in our inner being. You know the reason that sometimes you can work on the right, you can work outwardly, but inwardly you're, you're striving? It's because you're not resting. This week when I was stressed out about things, I was doing what I needed to do, but I wasn't resting in Christ. And when I came to a place where I realized, you know what, it's kind of like uh, driving your car and you're trying to get ahead of traffic. Have you ever been trying to get ahead of traffic, and you come to a stoplight, and then you pass people, and then you come to another stoplight, and the person you pass pulls up right beside you? You didn't get ahead? It's like that. When we strive outside of God's strength, we're trying to make things happen that God's like, look, I want you to work, and I want you to work hard, but I want you to rest in me as you do it. Let me 
bring about the results. Rest in me, trust in me. So when I'm anxious, it's showing that I'm not trusting in God's work. I want to look at one more uh, passage that's found in, in Hebrews, and then I'm going to close here. It's Hebrews chapter 12, because sometimes I can forget that I'm under the new covenant, and I can think God is the God. He is the God of the old covenant, but it's not. Uh, we're under grace. We've been given grace uh, in a way that we're not called under the old covenant. They were called to obey the law perfectly, or you suffer for it. Look at what it says in, in Hebrews 12, verse 18. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure. This is speaking of Mount Sinai. They could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. That's the old covenant. Look at verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gatherings, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks, speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time he shook, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens." This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Let's pray.